You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. All right, thanks for listening. We're coming to you from lovely Madison, Wisconsin, which is experiencing some strange springtime weather. S- yes, abnormally warm temperatures for February. Yep. Um, I'm Eli Steenledge. With me today are Jeremy Holiday, Mike Krieger. Yeah. Um, so the gang's back together this week. Um, we're all here. So on this episode, we are doing our best of 2016. Best of 2016. And that could be kind of anything. Uh, We were originally going to do films, but as we've mentioned before, we don't always get to the theater a lot, and we're pretty behind, so uh, we're kind of including TV, video games, books, comics, whatever you guys want to talk about, Um, including that. And we're not really breaking it down by a strict top 10, we're just having a good good old discussion here. Um, So we're going to take turns going through some of these different, uh, different media. Um, different texts, and um, I am going to mostly be talking about film, because I'm kind of a film guy, throwing in a few TV shows. Um, a cinephile. Cinephile, yes. Yes, thank you. Makes it sound smarter. Uh, and I will acknowledge that there are definitely things that I would have liked to have seen at this point, that I anticipate being you know, in my best of, uh, such as uh, La La Land, Moonlight... Um, Manchester by the Sea, one that's not getting quite as much attention um, with awards and stuff, but Nocturnal uh, Animals, I think I'm really going to like. Looks like a thriller, looks sort of meta, which is down my alley. Um, Another movie, Evolution, which is a little bit smaller, but some people are putting it on their critics list, um, which I would really like to see. Uh, Looks visually interesting. And then the, The Handmaiden, which was not nominated for any Academy Awards, um as far as I know, but uh, people are raving about. Have you guys heard about that one? South Korean? No, but it um, sounds interesting. I heard something. Okay. It was like Park Chan-wook's. Yeah. Made Old Boy. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So it's supposed to be pretty spectacular, actually. Pretty visually amazing and uh, really complex story and really fun. Um, and then also Allied by Robert Zemeckis. Um, Brad Pitt, Marion Cotillard kind of spy film throwback. Um, how do you guys feel about Robert Zemeckis in general? He's all right. He's all right. He, he can make a, I mean, he can make a film for a big audience. Like yeah. They, they work, but yeah. it's like cutting, or, um, formulaic. Formulaic, yeah. Cookie cutter. <laughs> Cookie cutter. Yeah. So I, I don't like all of his films, but I think some of them, in certain periods of his filmmaking, I really appreciate and some of the craft mm-hmm. that goes into them. He, I think he's a little bit old school um, in how he approaches things, and I kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I like about Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Um, is the old school. Yeah. He's got a grumpy old school. Style, <laughs> grumpy old school, Grumpy yeah. racist old school. Yeah. He's not... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you guys have anything you've been thinking about that you'd want, you had been wanting to see and just haven't gotten a chance to? Uh, I mean, I see uh, Moonlight. Um, yeah. 
I think I was. I think I maybe I. I saw Hidden Figures, which I really liked. Yeah. Um, and uh, either it was like either a preview. No, it wasn't. Wouldn't have been preview. Um, there was like I think an ad on the computer when I was like, yes. you know, um, looking for Hidden Figures times. Um, uh, and I had heard um, uh, an NPR interview with the two guys who wrote it because I think it's adapted from a stage play. Um, and it sounded great. And I yeah. was like, oh my gosh, I want to see this film. Um, yeah. But it was gone in the theaters before I paid attention, before I was like paying attention to it. Um, and it has, you know, we're currently in the gap between being in the theater and being able to get it on the interwebs. Right. So. right, it's not quite there. I think uh, really soon. Yeah, I mean, from what I hear, the, the style of it is really kind of poetic and um, kind of combines some Ter- um, Terrence Malick elements, which I always like in the visual style, but also having three different actors portray the main character's life, I think is interesting for, if you're trying to capture somebody's life, yeah. I think it shows that they're becoming different people, yeah. different, which I guess is a big part of the film, yeah. um, who they are, but yeah, I hear great things about that. Cool. Anything more on the <laughs> wish we would have but didn't list? I don't think so. Jackie? Jackie. Mm. That is another it's one. It's like Natalie Portman. Yeah. Mm. Um, I recently, I didn't really pay too much attention, but uh, Darren Aronofsky was involved in somehow, I think he's a producer or something, mm. but mm-hmm. I mean, he's... He always does good yeah. stuff. Yeah. I was not really uh, that interested in that movie, just hearing about it. And then I saw a trailer, and I was like, oh, wow, that looks really it interesting. Looks it looks different yeah. than I expected it to mm-hmm. be. Um, so I think it's very much supposed to be like kind of in her head and her own experience, mm-hmm. which is a different And did, did, did Logan come out this year? It's not out yet. No, not yet. yet. Soon, okay. I think. Yeah. I saw um, the preview for it. It looks pretty in, cool. In, in 2016. Yeah. Um, oh, another one, uh, 20th Century Woman, which I had also heard about and just saw the trailer recently, and I uh, had forgot that it's made by Mike Mills. Did you guys see Beginners? No. Ian McGregor? About his father who, late in life, um, comes out as, as homosexual, like after his wife has died, you know, and they've had a whole marriage and stuff. So it's kind of him dealing with that and kind of flashbacks with oh, his dad doing sounds interesting. but it's really good and i followed him for a while he's d- used to do uh music videos mm-hmm. so he made a documentary about the band air the french man hmm. um so i always like what he does and he adds little interesting stylistic flourishes and stuff yeah so. what music videos <clears throat> just air videos i think he's done more than air um i'm trying to remember i think he did uh some bjork videos maybe okay yeah I'll come back to Bjork for you sometimes, Eli. I'm a pretty big Bjork fan. Yeah, I have to admit. Yeah. Um, cool. Should we jump into things? Yeah, let's go to the yeah. stuff we actually watched or seen <laughs> yes. mostly. Good, good. Section. That's a good cover. Yeah. We know what we're talking so, about. Things we yeah. peruse kind of. through. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's start with you, Mikey, and uh, throw out one of the first things you got. Yeah. Um, so it was late 2016, but Man in the High Castle season two. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of watched them season one and season two back to back pretty much, mm. and I thought season two was the better of the two. Um, I mean, the first season was kind of a slow burn, um, built a lot of character. It was a bit slower in general than what I thought it would, what the show would be. I thought it would be like a spy noir action, you know, mm-hmm. thriller show. Um, but season two. Brought a lot of other stuff, a lot of other elements. We got to see a bit of like the Berlin part um, of the world, the the whole time travel, the interdimensional 
part. <laughs> it's kind of a, I don't know. It, I didn't know about this. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Am I, to, I'm totally spoiling it. watch it. I mean, that yeah, makes it sound more it. interesting to me. But uh, it, 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 mm. I did not know about it. Well, so, so, so how about... No, that does that works. It doesn't. Yeah. You don't okay. need to. I mean, I mean, it, it is an alternate reality. I knew alternate that. reality. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, for me, like, so this is my experience of Man in the High Castle. Uh, Eli told me to watch the uh, first season, and I did. And I asked Eli, "Have you watched it?" And he's watch like, it. "No." Um, <laughs> I really liked it. Um, I hated uh, Juliana's character. Can't stand her. I can't stand her. I mean, I mean, and it's like she should be dead like five times. You know, like it's a world which is like serious and gritty, and and she just gets away with flubbing up everything. You can, and you can kind of tell where they they wrote her character out. It's like, oh, that she makes this decision for this reason, yeah. but then it wasn't. It doesn't portray. Yeah, that. and so and I, I like the the war films. It's interesting and mysterious. And then at the and the at end of the first season when they watch the one that like contains. All of the like contains Joe and her, you know, and Frank. I'm like, come on, like, <laughs> I just it, it, it again like commits this fallacy that I or this thing like I hate about a lot of stories. Um, it, it's like the whole universe revolves around like one person yeah, somewhere. Five, five I'm like, come on, it's just so myopic. I'm like, nothing in the world in the universe works like this. Like, it's not mm-hmm. about anyway. So, but. I mean, the, I love the characters. Like, I love Obergrippen Fuhrer Smith. Mm-hmm. I love the thing with him and his wife this and his kids. This character really develops in the second season. That's what people say. Um, and uh, I like the trade minister. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually like that cop guy. I don't remember what his name is. You know, like the head cop who's investigating yeah. things. And so, and then I, so I was like, ooh, second his season came out. character as well. So There's I, I, some definitely some ethical choices. But. That, that sounds great. So I watched the first, <laughs> first episode of the second season. Um... And uh, we meet the man in the high castle. Yeah. Um, and uh, which was super disappointing. Yeah, but it's fine. Like I mean, I, I didn't want it to be like more. I, there was he was fine with me, but like I don't know. But like there was like hints that somehow Juliana is at like the interdimensional nexus. Right. And I'm like, oh please, just I like losing with Philip K. Dick. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Um, it's just too much. So I was like, okay, like I'm gonna let it. You know, like there's also like a. Juliana should have been dead twice again. Like, people shoot at her, but she just doesn't happen to be where the bullets are. I don't, you, know, you know, and it's like, she's... The, anyway, I mean, there... But um, there, there's there's a lot... has a lot of hope. Um, yeah. I just... The, the I just, supporting cast, aside from her, they get a lot of screen time, aside from her character, yeah. too. I just... Which that, makes it... It does help yeah. with the... They just try... They're, like, trying to write around her, and I'm like, why? Just let her die. Just, just or get her rid off. of her. Like, we don't... It's like a, you know, we don't really have a protagonist in this story. Like, we don't need her. Yeah. You know, please, please. I just want to, like, hear all these other people who are interesting. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah. But, I, I mean, I still think, regardless of that, there's, like, there's there's nothing else like it on TV mm. anywhere. Um, and that is super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Um, that would be, I mean, the most recent, mm-hmm. most relevant um, the other pick on my list, Base Motel. Mm. You guys watch Base Motel? I do. No. I haven't um, seen the latest season though. I gotta catch up on that. So I mean, I think it's kind of one of those shows that it doesn't get a lot of attention, mm-hmm. which is fine by me. Like I don't mind. Yeah. Um, I thought that I think that it is really well acted. Like each mm-hmm. every actor is does a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a lot of really eerie mother like uh oedipus complex yeah. tones yeah, like just sure. constantly yeah. <laughs> and they do do it so well that it, like it is really <clears throat> truly eerie mm-hmm. um and i love psycho so it's true to like the original tale in that mm-hmm. way and it's all, it makes it that much better to see like where it yeah. builds and leads and I think there's one more season left is that right there's one more season and I think I heard they build up to like Marion coming to the hotel and stuff is what I've heard okay like this the events of Psycho mm-hmm. yeah which uh was interesting I didn't know that they were gonna be I didn't know where right the show to, was leading right. yeah like how they were gonna finish that but that, I'm excited about that um the storylines get kind of wacky like mm-hmm. wacky soap opera there's yeah. like drug dealers and Right. Um, they gotta have some filler but, in there. Yeah, okay. and that's it's tolerable. It doesn't turn into like the episodic, like oh, which uh, which uh, drug dealer are we gonna take down this week? Right, right. You know, um, but it. I mean, it kept it kept going. Season yeah. four usually kind of gets the jump. Didn't they didn't jump the shark yet? Quite yet no. in this series. Yeah. 2016, I learned what Jump the Shark meant. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Big year for me. <laughs> and there's one more season. It's always good to have to end a show on a higher note and just mm-hmm. end it with a full written out ending. Right. With some closure. And know where they're and going. Just, and, yeah, and not yeah. just kind of vaguely drift off into... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Speaking of jumping the shark... Um, Happy I, Days is on your list? <laughs> no. A good friend of mine, like my, my, my BFF Marcy... Who's probably listening? Woo, hey Marcy! Um, all the way out in California. This isn't live. Um, <laughs> it's not. No. Oh. Um, uh, she. Uh, they got a new TV. Um, the first nice. big flat screen, and they. Uh, I don't know. Then they watched uh, Sherlock season four on it. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh my gosh! Like, should I watch it? And she's like, oh god, no! Please don't go anywhere near it. Um, and though she did not utter the phrase "jump the shark," um, I, I sort of via by proxy. Um, believe that Sherlock has jumped Jump the shark, shark season four. Yeah, I watched the first one and was really excited. I love that show. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and then uh, I watched it on regular television, which I never do anymore. On live TV? On, on PBS, yeah. Wow. And uh, Jess was not able, my wife Jess was not able to watch it live, and I watched it without her. And then I, she was like, oh, do I need to watch it? And I was like, uh, you can skip that one. <laughs> and then uh, the second episode was better. But then we were kind of busy with kids in bed and stuff when the third one was out. And then we're like, we'll watch it, you know, on the internet or whatever. Yeah. And then we just have never watched it. <laughs> it's BBC, though, right? Yeah. So okay. season four, so the show's been running for, what, like 25 years? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, it, 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 there is it, some big gaps. It, it's his fourth year. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been more like six years. Six years? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah. What do you got, Jeremy? Oh, we'll, um, we'll come back and get more. No, that's uh, all I had. <laughs> uh, uh, there's some stuff on my list. Um, uh, what do I want to say? Oh, I mean, two. Oh, I don't know. Um, well, I mean, Stranger Things is on my list, but mm-hmm. Stranger Things is on all of our lists, I think. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk uh, briefly about Jessica Jones. I know it was like late 2015, but it was like part of my 2016. Okay. Um, uh, I've talked previously about my disappointment with Luke Cage, and much mm-hmm. of my disappointment with Luke Cage comes from the fact that Jessica Jones was so good. I agree. Um, and so the, I mean, the couple things that, I mean, I haven't read much on the internet about Jessica Jones. I bet there's probably a lot there with the internet. But mm-hmm. uh, the, two, the two things I liked about it, well, several things. Number one, um, I like the, like, I like noir. 
Yeah. I like things that are trying like to be like noir. I like the realism of noir. I like the style of noir. I like all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like it as a kid because I was like, what is this? It's strange and awkward, but now I love it. Um, I like the character of Jessica Jones. I think um, I think it is a great way to enter that world with that girl killing her parents at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, you're like, oh, this is kind of like a, you know, psychological, difficult thing. And then we're like shooting yeah. people in the elevator, you know. <laughs> and, and I think that, that that's part of what I like about the noir narrative structure is like there's a mystery. We're thrown into it. We get to a deep point and we're like, okay, we're good. But there's this one thing. <laughs> and the one thing is the, the girl kills her parents. Um, and I like that, I mean, the show does some stuff, like, that girl's in prison for almost the entire season, and so she's, mm-hmm. like, she's like, like, she didn't just go away, right? Right. Um, you also get, later on in the show, like, the, 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 the support groups of people talking about, um, like, their experiences with Kilgrave. Mm-hmm. So, again, like, the victims of these, the, what he does, they don't go away. Right. Um, which is something that was just really, really interesting and powerful in the story. Mm-hmm. The other is, um... Um, well, I mean, we talked about, we've talked some about like female protagonists and whatnot. And I think that's cool. I think it's cool that Jesse Jones is a woman. Um, but more importantly, the story, like there is, I think a very clear way in which you can read like Kilgrave's power as a representation mm-hmm. of either the patriarchy or some form of toxic masculinity, just in the right. way that he like, if he says things in a certain way, he's got to be careful, you know, because people might, you know, just do exactly what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that she and the way that people react to that and have problems with it and find themselves in the you know they 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 feel bad for doing it even though they're compelled against their will right you know right, and, this, and, the, and and I think it's like that ambiguity of like both doing something and feeling bad about it being able to being forced to do it but not really you know but being feeling like you're present you know because the, mm-hmm. the way people describe it they're like present mm-hmm. and they want to do it but they don't want to do it mm-hmm. um, and I think that, that like that kind of ambiguity is interesting and powerful and so the story has all pardon me a lot of ways in which it operates a really cool mm-hmm. story about like superpowers yeah a story between a story between friends a story between enemies and then this sort of you know like more present um, or I mean like more uh, relevant present mm-hmm social critique about uh you know modern feminism and masculinity which is really interesting and plays out you know both individually in in episodes and scenes and also in the in sort of the arc of the show um and for that reason this is i was like oh my gosh like this is both entertaining and interesting and well done Mm -hmm. and again like luke cage in that show (laughs) love that guy you know he's like right you know um and he has people to act around him and so it's fine um but (laughs) i really um you know and and I haven't watched Daredevil, sorry. Um, people say it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, you know, I had watched, super embarrassing, The Arrow, or Arrow, which is on I the... I started watching it's Arrow. It's quite popular. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, it's, it starts off pretty good. Um, and, and there's a good way of, like, maintaining the, like, how does he do this? Because he's, like, super jacked and tough. At the beginning, it, it, it becomes, like, it becomes yeah. very clear that it belongs on the soap opera channel <laughs> yeah, after, like, right, the first yeah. season. yeah. Um, but it, it starts off really well. But I kind of like, you know, like, I'm like, eh, like yeah. Marvel TV shows, or I mean, you know, superhero TV shows. I'm like, mm. like I like Agents of Shield, mm-hmm. but I like it because it's Joss Whedon, and it mm-hmm. goes a little bit, you know, there's some possibly jumping the shark stuff towards the end of it. But I, I really like it. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't really compelled to um, watch the stuff and think there's much to it until I watched Jessica Jones and it's like, oh. 
Yeah. There's like something, there may be something going on here. Yeah. Um, and that's I like, why, you know, I'm interested to watch Daredevil and that's why I watch Luke Cage and other stuff like that. I like that Jessica Jones is like an anti-hero a little mm-hmm. bit. Like she's very reluctant to do the right thing. Like to yeah. be a hero. And I think that they did play with, you know, Kilgrave like kind of knows that she likes kind of doing the bad thing. Yeah. And so he kind of plays off of like, hey, you had fun. Like, I was compelling you to do these bad things and yeah. be with me. But he was like, come on, you kind of enjoyed it. And I think, like you said, there's like that sort of talk going on in general in our society around oh, yeah. uh, and there's, there's male, also female relationships. Most and, yeah. certainly. Yeah. And there's also a perennial bit about it. Right. I mean, I think that like it also gets to this very human thing that like, there is some kind of dark satisfaction in killing someone else. I haven't mm-hmm. done it myself, <laughs> um, but I, you know, like it's to be that more, much more powerful yeah. than someone else, or even to beat someone up or right. to physically dominate someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also know that it's bad, and it, and it makes us feel really bad. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at, um, you know, like a, a soldiers coming back from war. I mean, right. I a number of friends of mine who have done tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, like you come back to a world that is very different than the one you left, um, mm-hmm. and you have to deal with this situation where, like. You did maybe you killed people. You yeah. did some really some things which had really good motivations to do them, and also mm-hmm. had some had some bad stuff to it as well. Yeah. Um. And again, like thing throw shows or or art or anything that deals with like anything in its totality, which contains ambiguities and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff, is always far more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is fun to be like, okay, like we're gonna go fight Lord Business. You know? <laughs> it's fun, but it's um, it's. It's only valuable if things are symbolically represented in that um, world. I mean, I think that Jessica Jones sort of does it really well and that it's it's sort of all there. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm going to break down my list of things as into kind of categories because I have a fair amount of them. Um, And I didn't choose like really deep themes for these, just kind of like categories more. Uh, but my first sort of category is um, in just kind of the thriller genre, and there were some good ones this year, including uh, there seemed to be a lot of like one location thrillers that were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't that interested in seeing it, but there's the film Don't Breathe. Have you guys heard about that? More of like a horror, mm-hmm. and I hear that's really good. Um, one that didn't really make my list, but I still respect a lot is Green Room, um, which I've talked about it briefly on the show before, but it takes place in this one sort of, uh, punk club, um, oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah, bar yeah. basically, and they're, they're kind of stuck in there. Um, so I respect that film a lot and, uh, the filmmaker and I'm excited to see what he does, but it didn't quite make my list. It was just mm-hmm. kind of a straightforward, gritty suspense thriller, um, there was there was a very much like uh, it it's it's treated pretty realistically and I heard there was like gory moments in his previous film they said it was really violent and visceral and um, people had trouble with it and I was like eh that film wasn't that bad and then this one and it like it got to me in a moment <laughs> it's pretty rough like you know definitely no like CG happening with you know Walking Dead style like this is. You feel it. So uh, so I will give it credit for that. Um, but the two films that I really want to talk about are The Invitation and 10 Cloverfield Lane. Have you guys seen any of those? No. no. All right. So 10 Cloverfield Lane was kind of the surprise sequel to Cloverfield, which was eh, just okay. But this was totally a different story. Um, John Goodman, right? John Goodman, yeah. And I think 
part of the why it turned out so well is the performances. John Goodman's great, really charismatic. Uh, you don't really know what to think of him, kind of, um, throughout the whole film. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is kind of the lead protagonist in this. Um, and again, it's kind of in this uh, one location and uh, like, like a, a bomb bunker. shelter? Yeah, it's like a bomb shelter, sort of. has a few rooms, but um, something happens. And so part of the film is not knowing exactly what happened, but that... Um, John Goodman's character owns the shelter and wants to keep her and another guy there because he thinks it's safer. So all this like paranoia and suspicion going on between them and is really well handled. Um, this is a first time feature um, for the director and I think he just like every shot seems like it's has a meaning, you know, has a purpose and it's just really well done and uh, creates a great mood. Uh, there's great use of uh, some music sequences in it. So uh, using diegetic music from that world um, and just some really, they you know, play board games to pass the time because they're just kind of waiting around. So um, just really kind of swings your emotions different directions as well. And I really love the ending and the way that it ties into the Cloverfield world. Um, they just handled it really well. So Because I didn't really know where they were going to go with that that premise and fit it in, but... Uh, so that's one good one. I recommend seeing it as just like a really tight thriller. Um, Do you need little... to see Cloverfield first? You don't. I mean, basically, I think you just need <laughs> to and know. You probably shouldn't. That's, that's <laughs> right, a sure. that I yeah. <laughs> I mean, they they drop the like um, found footage style completely yeah. of of the original Cloverfield, so it's not in that style, um, which I think is a good move. Um, but basically, just knowing that it there was like giant creature attacks. Like is all you need to know, <laughs> um, which I think is is obvious from the Cloverfield promotions. Um, so, like, re- requisite is to see a Cloverfield poster, right? And exactly. Yes. Move on. Yes. Fair enough. Um, and then the invitation. Have you guys heard about this movie at all? Uh, I think it's on Netflix already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen Netflix some previews for it. Yeah, it's on your Netflix too. So another just nice little, uh, pretty low budget. Um, independent thriller and so about a group of friends coming back together for a dinner party and of course there's you know the stress of you know um, a couple of the characters used to be together and now they're not and there there was some traumatic um, things that happened in their lives in the past um, loss of uh, someone close to them that they're dealing with and that's still kind of in the background so I think it's it's a really good example of those sort of like internalized trauma that becomes externalized at some point or you like is the threat that it's going to come out in uh in an external way um but i i wouldn't say that it's like the greatest film but i just it caught me off guard how much it sort of build dread throughout the whole film like i found my i wouldn't say there's like scary moments or it doesn't like these like twists that really like catch you off guard it's just like the sense and tone of the film just keeps building. And, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, that thing is, like, the thing that I said about, like, why I liked, like, the first two seasons of The Walking Dead. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, it, I mean, first of all, the first season, like, with the arc which ends, like, in the CDC is just, like, some, 
you know, like, glorious despair. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the second season, like, the fact that you're like, it's not like, oh, my God, you know, and then there's, like, a relief after uh-huh. the stuff. It's just, right. like, you know, like a mild heartburn mm-hmm. all the way through. Right. That I just, you know, like, that I think that, you know, I don't know if that's Frank Darabont's influence, mm-hmm. but it's, like, you know, and it just, like, it just, I would sweat. Like, it was, like, yeah. I was, and, and it was about the pacing. Yeah. You know, about the way in which anxiety is managed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you never, like, you know, because even in, like, traditional films, like, you know, there's the anxiety drop off, drop off, and you're like, ah, somebody's going to die. Yeah. Like, that doesn't, that didn't happen in The Walking Dead in the beginning. <laughs> it's like, there's like, you know, it could be high anxiety and somebody dies. You're just, right. you know, stacking up levels up, yeah. or, and you get relaxed and you actually enjoy the relaxation, but it's so uncomfortable that you're like, you know, like, you know, what's going on? Like, who, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, yeah, I think managing that um, with pacing and style, I think is is what, what makes any sort of thriller thrilling. Yeah. And it also has an element of uh, sort of like a cult being involved, or possibly. Mm. And um, not like, a, and this one doesn't have like a real weird cult things happening or like rituals or something, but um, it's kind of the, the possibility that they're trying to be recruited for this weird group. And I, I don't know, I'm just always really intrigued by those stories of like cults <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Um, and the possibilities of them. So uh, that those are kind of my two thriller films um, that I really enjoyed and well ha- handled really well. Mm-hmm. Kind of sneak up on you. So I recommend those, yeah. I always like the single location, kind of general single location mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. Um, for the fact that they can kind of build. You get to know the characters yeah. and you kind of build semi-weird emotional relationships with them. Mm-hmm. Um a good example is Clue, the movie Clue with yeah. Tim Curry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's a, one of the first ones that come to mind. Yeah. Aside from like the Kevin Smith universe, where like you know <laughs> the character, that's like a character between like, films. Yeah, a personal thing or like a personal favorite. But okay, you yeah. get to know people, you get to know their characters, and then like you invest in yeah. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like and in Clue, they all die. Some of them die. Or they Man. kill. No, they kill <laughs> wait, rather. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the, kind of the point of that of Clue. Um, cool. So let's uh, let's move on. Who has something next? Um, I have a couple honorable mentions that I have not quite gotten through or gotten to. Okay. Um, you want to just throw out one for now? Mark Marin's TV yeah. show on IFC. Um, it is streaming on Netflix now, but it, it's called Marin. Um, they put out the last season recently well not maybe not that recently but it stayed pretty good i mean i listen to mark maron's podcast so like again i kind of know his character Mm -hmm. but on the show it's like exacerbated yeah more so um the last season kind of takes a turn at the end of the previous season and then kind of continues on the Mm -hmm. um his downward spiral of whatnot but it's did good. It's uh, I think it's the fourth season, third or fourth season. It's nice. funny and nice. stayed good through throughout the, the whole run of the show. So um, I would recommend nice. it as well. Cool. Um, I uh, I want to mention uh, a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I want to mention two. One, I'm not sure if it came out in 2015 or 2016, but it's Banner Saga two. Um, I haven't talked about Banner Saga on the show. So, okay, I think so. So Banner Saga is like this. Um, uh, uh, this uh, sort of tactical combat game that takes place in the Viking, in like a Viking world. Um, you. Uh, Gauntlet? What's it? Gauntlet. No, no, no. Tactical, <laughs> right. 
Um, but it's so like they it, it was done with done through Kickstarter from the very beginning. It, it's a small production company of like four to five people all across the world. Um, it's a, all the animation is uh, hand drawn rotoscope images, which are then you know digitally animated into the characters. There's like an overview where you sort of there's the characters and the story with dialogue choices, and then there's sort of tactical combat on a grid. Um, you com- you command like a there's there's a tiny tiny bit of magic in the world. Um, you command like uh, humans and then varl, which are giants. Um, and it's uh, the story is great. The animation is great. There's a few really really well done cutscenes. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the first Banner Saga to, is like a, the opening of a story, and it's really good. I mean, it's a story of like there's some sort of evil coming, and these um, these sort of stone-like people um, called the Sunder come. Well, where are they called? Um, the leader of them is called the Sunder, and they're, so they push the Varl out of their sort of place, and they come down there. So there's the humans and Varl, and these other guys fighting. Um, uh, and it's it's a really interesting story. You you, you and you you uh, travel oftentimes with like a, you you follow one person, then you follow someone else, and you follow someone else, and you're on these caravans trying to get places. Just, it's entertaining and beautiful. The you know, yeah. the, the music is great. Um, like I said, the story is wonderful, which I always like. Um, and the artwork is good. So they did that. Um, the story is like fairly incomplete at the end of the first one, which mm-hmm. is a few years ago. So they made the second one. Um, which I think came out last year. Um, it's better. Uh, the, yeah. the combat is essentially the same. You follow the same characters. Um, the story gets a lot more involved. You learn more about stuff, about magic. And there's some like really wonderful scenes where like the world is falling apart, and you're like fighting off guys while a ma- magician is like bringing out parts of the the cracked world to help mm. you cross over this area with a giant dragon in the background. I mean, That's epic. Yeah, yeah they, I mean they just go all over the place, and it's, and I mean you know, and it's not like ridiculous or silly. Um, it's good. And it has that element that I like about shows like Babylon 5 where, like, we are in charge of this tiny little corner of the universe mm-hmm. and there's a whole lot of super big powerful stuff going on. Awesome. We're not going to fight that and that is not <laughs> our battle. Like, we are trying to get away or to get away from it and we're fighting to get there. You also encounter some some more people. Like, there's these, like, centaurish kinds of folks um, and really interesting and good characters. Mm-hmm. Um, really well done. And so... Um, it, I think it was at the end of 2016 that they like they they started their Kickstarter campaign, which is still active now. I think for Ban- Banner Saga three, mm. which will wrap the whole thing up, um, um, and uh, you know bring the story arc to a chain or to a conclusion and stuff like that. Um, so uh, if you haven't played it or looked it up, you can find it on Steam and on your iOS device. I think. Really? Yeah, it's. I mean, that's where I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's super fun. I mean, it's done like as a platform independent mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, but I mean, I, I love rotoscoping. I love that old animation yeah. style. I love all those Don Booth films. Mm-hmm. I love Vikings. What is rotoscoping. Oh, so uh, rotoscoping is like, um, I mean, I, I, it's a, it's not a style. But what they used to do is they would take like uh, footage of someone, project it on a wall or an area, and then you would draw it. So it's like the transfer of like uh, an actual image of someone to like a drawn image of someone. So it has like much more fluid movement. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and it is more about like the style is more about the motion of things in mm-hmm. the camera. Like all of Ralph Bakshi's films are done that way. Like the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings. Um, so it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> Mikey's giving <laughs> no, me yeah, his blanks there. You know, I mean, so what they would do is they would like you know, um, much the way like Alex Ross makes his DC art. Um, yeah. You would like. You know, take a video, like a film of someone, then take those stills, project those stills up, and then someone would draw them. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, Richard Linklater made a couple of films that way too, like um, uh, Scanner Darkly and Waking Life. Waking Life, yeah, mm-hmm. those are rotoscope, yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I mean, there's again, like I just, uh, um, 
in films as well. Like I, this is, I'm gonna make this short. Yeah. But like Eli and I talked once about like watching shows in like 60p or 60 mm-hmm. 60i, um, and some of it's just like too real. Like I want it in 24. Like because it's not about so much like it seems like I'm right there. It's about like the images and how they move right. on the screen right, and the yeah. shapes and the it's line and yeah. stuff. It's one of the I mean, Eli and I have this long going dispute about like the Tron films. Like <laughs> I like the first Tron film. It's like it's not nearly as polished, you know, as the second one. Um, mm-hmm. But like I feel like there's so much more art in the or artistry in the way that things are designed. Eli mm-hmm. disagrees. We don't have well, to talk about it. But I, I like the first Tron. A lot. Yeah, I just also like. He also but I'm sometimes picky about that. So, um, but I also, I mean, what I had, to, I have to talk about uh, XCOM two, which I think I mentioned once before. I mean, um, XCOM two came out, I think, in February of 2016. I got it for my birthday. Okay. Um, it's the, it's like the. Is uh, it your birthday? March sixth, but I mean, I was like, I got it. <laughs> um, it's my brother's birthday. If we're gonna do shoutouts, yeah, right now, right today, today. Sweet. today. Shout what, what's today's date for the viewing audience? February fifteenth, day after yeah. Valentine's Day, Michael Bolton. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, there's a couple. Of, so, like, I was just checking on Steam earlier. Like, I think I have like over 250 hours logged in 2016 on XCOM nice. 2. Um, I've beaten it, I think, four times now. Um, it, it is like uh, so that's good. It, 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 I mean, I think it's probably my favorite game of all time. Wow. Um, it, it, it's the second series um, in a remake that Firaxis has done. They remade the original XCOM, which is a late or like a mid-90s sort of genius um, by a man named Julian Gallup. Um, and uh, the, the, for those Was that don't... It a PC game? Yeah, it's a PC game. I mean, like the old style graphics. Yeah. Um, but the, the main genius of uh, those guys, Julian in particular... Um, in the original XCOM was like you had this like you could you had this geoscape where you viewed the world um, and there were alien ships coming in and you sent out interceptors to get them and then there was a, a level at which you managed a base bases around the world and then there was like a tactical combat where you like you would actually do the tactical combat you sent your guys out to do my opinion of the original is like it becomes too cumbersome to play towards the end like I would get like 85% of the way through it and like it would just take hours and hours and hours to complete the final missions because I'd have a team of twenty guys and two tanks and I'm going across these massive bases on several levels. And I'm like, I don't like I can't <laughs> I don't have a mini map, like I can't, it takes forever. You know, and like the you know, and like it's all turn based. So I'm like, I'm moving, I'm like two use two time units for this. Anyway, so I think um, but all those integrations of levels plus the cool thing that they do where like you're absolutely out overpowered by the aliens from the beginning like they have awesome weapons mm-hmm. and you have machine guns so you have to like have more people and have better tactics or you just lose and the game is unforgiving in that aspect but you improve by taking the aliens technology and figuring out how it works and using it against them which I think is fun <laughs> it's not like oh I just have a rocket launcher mm-hmm. it's like you do have a rocket launcher and it doesn't <laughs> really hurt them um, and so uh, again I think that the remake which they did, um, which originally XCOM Enemy Unknown and then the follow-up was XCOM uh, Enemy Within, like an expansion for the original one, was a great remake. They took all the system of time units and it made it so you have like two actions. You can like move and shoot or shoot, shoot or things like that. It was a great mm-hmm. and allowed you to play through the game several times in enjoyable fashion, um, keeping track of things and not get so bogged down at the end that you're like, dear God, I love this game, <laughs> but I can't spend seven hours beating these levels. Um and so, and that was great. Um, and, um, and I think it was like three or four years ago. And then, like I said, in 2016, they made XCOM 2. And so the original right. XCOM was not designed for modifications. It was designed cross-platform for PC um, and Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. When they did XCOM 2, they said, we're going to make it 
just for Steam or just for the PC so it can mm-hmm. have this modular structure. Uh-huh. Um, like it's through the Steam's workshop where you can like, I can make a thing and upload it and you just click it and it adds it to the game and it oh, just, wow. there's no like zipping files or anything, hmm. um, which is a lot easier than doing it in Minecraft for any of you that have yeah. kids, which is a lot harder than you'd think. Um, uh, and so, uh, they, but they've, uh, they of course uh, violated that because they're now going to release XCOM 2 for the Xbox One, which is fine. I mm-hmm. like consoles. Yeah. Um, but but the, there's a couple things that I love about XCOM 2. And they are as follows. Number one, um, the whole premise of it is that you lost the first game, hmm. um, and I've never had a game that <laughs> has that been the premise. Like that there's a there's a, there's an event that happens in the expansion of the original remake of XCOM where the aliens attack your base, and you learn in XCOM two that they attacked your base and nearly all of you died, and they took over Earth. <laughs> wow. And so and this is where you start. Um, you you play this. You know, like the character you play, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have a is the character called the commander. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out you get captured when that happens, and you eventually learn about what's going on with that. And the XCOM 2 starts um, when they kind of like rescue you out of your cryostasis, and you're like in the world 20 years later. Yeah. Um, aliens have taken over the entire planet, um, and you're kind of trying to take it back. Now, there are a couple wonderful things they do. Number one, mm-hmm. um, instead of having a, a, a fixed base, you have this Number giant. A. What's one, that? One A. One A. One A. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry. I do do that. I do do that. Number one A. Um, uh, instead of having a, a fixed base, you have that you come into this alien ship called the Avenger and you fly it around. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you first get it off the ground, it's like identical to that scene in Firefly when they're at the bar and it like lifts up, you know, like uh, in, in the mesas of like the Southwest. Um, which is it's fun because I love it when people you know love on Firefly. <laughs> you get to fly it around the world, um, and so there's a couple like things that happen in the game which I which are just great, and I have to talk about them. One of which is as opposed to being like a bunch of dudes assaulting like an alien vessel, which is what mm-hmm. a lot of the first one is. Um, most of the missions you are you're sneaking up on the enemy, so you're concealed. So you're sneaking around, trying not to get detected, mm-hmm. setting yourself up to do awesome ambushes where you like somebody shoots, everybody else fires, and you like wipe them out in the first <laughs> bit. Um, but the the amount of like moving in concealment allows you to like it's a lot more strategic. Mm-hmm. It's it's not so much like because the first one it's like there's a limited number of weapons and like you just need to get into a position and like blow guys up. And right. I mean there Sorry, is it is tactical so it's cool, yeah. but the the level of tactics in XCOM two is far greater. Because, like, there's sometimes, like, if you if you move too... If you, like, use two run moves at the beginning, you don't necessarily see where you're going. You can move further. But, like, some bystander might see you, alert the other guys, and your whole... Um, your whole... So the trap is sprung, right. and you're, you're now all going to get shot up and die. Which is, mm-hmm. you know, so, like, it really... I felt like in even the original XCOM back in the 90s, there was a lot of me moving my guys around yeah. that felt like it was me essentially doing, like, commando roles for fun. <laughs> like it didn't have really positive effects in the game, but like mm-hmm. that's how I wanted to play. Um, in XCOM Two, you—that's how it, I mean, the game rules force you to play in a way that you really care about who sees you and when they see you and what position you're in when that happens and how deep you are into your turn and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, and it's just fabulous. They, and like the there's a couple people that have done mods for it, which are great. Mm-hmm. Um, they also did. Um, some more narrative expansions to it. Uh, one is Shen's last last gift, which is like this. Um, one of the it's one of the characters. Very deep into it. Um, one of the characters, Lily Shen, uh, who's like your engineer. Her father worked in the original XCOM, um, and he left sort of this like robot for you hidden mm-hmm. somewhere. We have to go get. Um, and it's a really great 
uh, it's a really great narrative series of like three boards. You go to the place and there's kind of like a, a crazy robot there who's trying to kill you. Yeah. Um, it's fair. It's very entertaining and very well done. Um, and they also, uh, well, one of the like the the engine, one of the like the scientist characters from the first one who's a little crazy. Um, she apparently didn't get killed. She wasn't killed in the original assault on the XCOM base. So she's like been experimenting on aliens, and has successfully made like super aliens um, that are rampa- that got loose and are like rampaging around the world. Um, uh, and they show up in the game, and they're awesome in the game because uh, they're like uh, ruler. They're, they're like they're like there's like a two queens and a king, I think. Um, and they. Uh, as opposed to the standard rules where everybody on my team goes and everyone on their team goes, they go after like if, if one of my characters goes, then the the queen goes. Hmm. So like um, it makes the game really really hard, yeah. and they really really kick the crap out of you. <laughs> um, and uh, and again like knowing that they're out there and being cautious really pays off. Because hmm. um, if you end up in a place where you don't you like you don't you know you need to take them out quickly or you're all gonna die. Um, which is really right. part of what makes XCOM fun as well, <laughs> um, in that they, you know, it still has this uh, really st- steep and solid learning curve, um, and your characters are frail. Like mm. you're commanding a force of a bunch of people, and right. a bunch of them will die before you win the game. Um, and even at the latter stages of the game, like if you take a rocket to the face, you're probably going to die, <laughs> regardless of the fact that you've been, you Which know, is the way it should be. Yeah, a, yeah. a protagonist in this story for a whole long time. Um, and so, like I mentioned, I think. On episode before, that the, the uh, company who did the, the Long War mod came out with Long War Two for mm-hmm. XCOM Two, which I've been playing now for about maybe twenty hours or so. It's great. Um, you know, it's sort of like, I, I mean, I, I think the original unmodded XCOM Two is great. I think it's sort of like a best of genre kind of thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the Long War Two is much better than the this is, than the original Long War mod <laughs> for the original remake, um, which made the game a bit too long. Which is like my talking about this game, but um, uh, I mean I think that anyone who's any interest in alien film or alien games or alien films or tactical combat or video games in general, um, you got to check it out XCOM Two because it's I think it's just about the best that humanity has produced in that genre. Nice, cool. Um, for my next category, I guess uh, this is this is not a as strict of a category. Um, but I fit these two films into maybe kind of like dealing with family. So not family films, but um, dealing with family. So one is uh, The Arrival, yeah. which we spent quite a bit of time already on um, on one of our earlier episodes. So I'm not going to dig into that too much. But I think you can take a lot of elements from The Arrival. Um, some people, you know, we talked about it in... Reference to language and kind of getting things getting lost in translation sometimes and the power of language. But uh, for me, I think what stuck out ultimately was the power of family and and kind of what that family unit means. Um, even though I would say a lot of the film is not spent on the family per se, um, but in retrospect, after you know the ending, it actually was sort of building to... Um, this this family uh, unit that we see. So uh, for me, that that was a strong element. Looking back at the film and yeah. thinking about it. And when we talked uh, with William, um, yeah. I uh, I met with him. I just happened to be at the same. We were at a dinner, uh, two weeks ago. Said, and he, yeah. he he wanted to su- suggest the movie Midnight Special. 
Yes. Have you seen this? Yeah, it's in my honorable mentions. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Because yeah. he, he said that like in in the like the genre I haven't seen it in the genre yeah. of like family sci fi ish. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that it was it was a really good um, one in that category too. Yeah. Um, that filmmaker, I like a lot, um, and he made a film called Take Shelter, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, probably one of my favorite films. Uh, which is so uh, this may be a good point to bring up that um, you know I, I was I didn't put these into a strict top ten like was my number one film but I was yeah. thinking like what what were my very favorite films of the year and I yeah. think Arrival did definitely is high up there on that list yeah um, but I was also thinking compared to say last year uh, where I don't think overall the year was as strong but that um, there were definitely some strong films. Like, every year I feel like there's usually a couple where I'm just like, wow, that was, like, a great... That was great cinema right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, last year we had things like um, Mad Max, Fury Road, uh, Spotlight, which I thought was really engrossing. Um, Whiplash. Whiplash, yeah. was really excellent. Um, I thought Mad Max last year was, like, not like pity, but like um, like uh, not so deserving of everybody's of praise, like Oscar praise. It was yeah. it was a great action film. Yeah, it's fantastic action. Right. Yeah, but like really, you're gonna put Above Mad that. Max next to Spotlight? Right. Like yeah, um, it was really well done. Mm-hmm. But I was it that good? I yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought it was. I thought yeah. it was. I mean, it was. Yeah. It's just, I mean, like, like they don't. It's not the kind of film that it is. Like, I don't. Yeah, I it's mean, good to see stuff mixed up and mm-hmm. throw, yeah. like, throw an action film, throw in whatever yeah. horror or suspense or comedy, mm-hmm. best pictures, but yeah, that was just that didn't quite fit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, have you guys watched It Follows yet? No, you keep talking about it. I think I, started, I, I almost I, started, I almost I watched it the other day. Yeah. <laughs> um. That's really good. Left from last year, Steve Jobs. I also recently yeah. rewatched. I like and, Steve Jobs. Yeah, I thought like, Danny Boyle did well. Did, mm-hmm. And and uh, whoever played Steve Jobs, uh, Michael Jordan Fassbender. Played, yeah, yeah, did great. He did great. And I mean, for all the shakeups, like there was two other actors that were originally gonna play Steve Jobs and ended up pulling out, and do Danny you know, Boyle took you know over. Um, I think Christian Bale was gonna do it at some point. I'm not sure who the other one was. But um, like a fast bender for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was unsure when they first announced that, but yeah, he's really magnetic in it. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like this year there was quite those kind of films that really like struck me the same like way. Stark drama. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Arrival does make my list up there. Um, I'm gonna not talk more about that since we did a separate podcast. But I want to talk about the film Louder Than Bombs, which. Uh, I caught um, towards the end of the year, um, and I didn't know the filmmaker even had a new film out this year. But um, I'll probably also butcher his name, but I think it's uh, Joachim Trier. I think he's Danish. Um, not sure if I'm saying his first name correctly. But uh, he made these films um, previously called Reprise, uh, which is about two sort of young guys who want to be um, like novelists. And so it's kind of about their creative ambitions to be like write these great novels and kind of their uh, 
personal lives and um, and how that kind of rubs up against their their ambitions and one gets published first and so it's kind of this this almost like um, personal battle that's going on between them of what actually happens and following through on that um, and it it felt to me um, kind of in the style of like French New Wave almost or something it just had a lot of energy and jumped around and um, had some really fun moments as well as serious. So I was really surprised by that film. And then he made um, Oslo, August 31st, um, which is almost takes place, I think, in like one day of a guy being released from like um, uh, sort of like a, I think it might have been like a mental institute. And he also dealt with um, drugs and things like that and just going and meeting people in his lives and dealing with that which sounded sort of dry but uh the dialogue was just so well done and interesting and also had these little creative flourishes that i liked um so anyways louder than bombs Mm -hmm. is about uh mostly a family of men um because the uh the wife in the film the mother has recently passed away and one of the sons is in high school one of the other sons is recently married and is about to have um his first child and then um the father who you know is older and stuff um and so these kind of men at different phases of their lives and um just how they're dealing with you know where their lives ended up and how things are changing uh and trying to relate to each other badly and communicating badly which i can relate to somewhat with the men in my family probably <laughs> don't communicate that well often. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know. It just brought up, I wouldn't say it's the most, again, the most amazing film that like strikes you right away. But in the end, there was just these moments that snuck up and um, were pretty moving or like things that I just related to um, and could identify with in my life. Um, there's a great moment where the like, high school kid who's kind of awkward and doesn't really like talk about is depressed and things like that and he finally like shares this uh story um that he wrote kind of about himself and stuff like that that he shows to his older brother who's visiting from home and uh and he was just like this is this is weird uh, but kind of great you know he's like i didn't know these things about you and that you thought deeply about this stuff and what's going on and uh and then he's like the high school kid is like i'm gonna show it to the girl i like like I'm gonna give it to her so like she understands and he was just like the older brother was like don't do that like I know like right now this feels like what you should do and it's gonna but he's like just get through high school move on and then you'll get to the phase where you will meet the girl who will appreciate something like that about you or like who you are but like right now the cheerleader in your school is not gonna yeah appreciate like and so it was just, like, this great moment of, like, I could see both sides of those brothers. You know, like, being in sort of both places and being, wanting to feel like you are somebody interesting and unique and, like, have these unique views and want to share them with someone you think you care about, but also, like, the practical side of, like, you just got to get through this, man. High school yeah. sucks. Um, and and become your own person. So just little moments like that that I thought were really good. Jesse Eisenberg's in it. Um, mm. Gabriel Byrne and uh, oh, I'm gonna forget her name, but she's getting a lot of oh, Isabel Huppert, um, who's getting a lot of attention for the movie L mm. by Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, a lot of controversy around that, but um, yeah, she's been in a lot of good films this year. But she was the mother. So we see flashbacks with her, uh, and the film is a little bit non-linear, where it just kind of jumps into 
these past moments almost as if like they're just spurred by memories you know that the characters are thinking about mm. and i really like that style where it's just kind of free form and, and flows dreamy between. yeah um i wouldn't say this film is really that dreamy but because the style is pretty minimal minimalist um but there are some unique phases so like when they're reading the story from the high school kid like we see flashes of just like world moments and things like that um mm. And kind of poetic imagery a little bit but hmm. still pretty down to earth uh but so that that movie surprised me and i'm really glad that that uh director is doing new things yeah. um and I, i'm excited to see what he does next actually his next film i looked on imdb and is something about uh the tagline all they have right now is a woman falls in love and gains uh superpowers and i guess it's supposed to be like a dark thriller but i was like huh okay Sounds interesting. That's yeah. what we need. Those are the superheroes. Those are the superheroes, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, in his hands, I know it won't be a standard, like, blockbuster. And I guess uh, this Louder Than Bombs film was more of a like English language film, and his other ones have been um, not in English. So I guess this one is made back in Denmark, so I think it's going to be smaller again. Too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. What do you guys got next? Do you have some other honorable mentions, Mikey? Um, in general, I guess Archer... I have not seen the newest season, which is the 2006-16 season. <laughs> um, but it has stayed, in my opinion, solid throughout its run. Um, and I am excited for the newest season. I hear a lot of good things about that show. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Not at all? No. I've never seen it either. I've seen commercials. No? It's, you, you guys will both appreciate right. it. Yeah. There's like inside jokes... So obviously start from the first season, but mm-hmm. there are inside jokes that run for seven seasons now. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, so it builds, yeah. um, and it is truly funny. And that's okay. all I got. Okay. Um, on the theme of brothers, um, I think, we're, you know, we're coming to some um, <clears throat> bigger, bigger things here. Yeah. I mean, um, Sing Street. Sing Street. Dedicated to brothers everywhere. Yeah. Um. Probably, I watched it in 2017, but it was released in 2016. Um, it was like probably the most fun I had watching a film from something <laughs> in 2016. Have you, have you seen it? Have, you, right? seen it yeah. have you seen it? No. It's like, it's like the, about these kids who like start a band in Ireland in 1985. Like the one mm-hmm. kid, like the, I don't know, the one kid gets sent to like this rough and tumble boarding school or like rough and tumble school. Yeah, yeah. Me where he is, we meet some new kids. Um, and he and he like goes through all the phases of eighties mu- music. Like one day he's dressed up like Duran Duran, and the next day he's dressed up like Robert Smith. You know, mm-hmm. like he just and you know I'm like and I have the music, and the music is really good. It is pretty good. Yeah. Like the, the the band plays, and it's like non diegetic studio stuff, but it's great. Like the the they play the, the people who are there play the instruments. They all sing. Um, it's just fabulous. There's mm-hmm. a little love interest. There's a little shim sham. I don't know if that's a word, but you know, like there's a little bit of like. What's the shim sham? I mean, you know, like. No, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, because with the girl, you know, it's like you kind of think it's one thing, but it's another thing, gotcha, and gotcha. then, yeah, and it has like it also like. I mean, I was not in Ireland in 1985, but I think it was a really interesting time because I mean, mm-hmm. like, like um. You too came out of Ireland in 1985. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's also true. like um. Yeah. I can't remember Chris, whatever the guy's name is, who was in the IT crowd. He made Moon Boy. Um, like right there's I, there's something about this this time period I mean, mm-hmm. which is portrayed in a film as like a time when like oh there's like sort of not much to do here right, um, right. it's it's kind of not going great um 
It's really fun. It's also peppered with these moments of realism, like when the woman, like the girl, admits that she was like sexually assaulted by her father. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's a priest who like attempts to sexually assault our main character, maybe, um, or, or certainly like yeah. does assault him. Right. Um, you know, and there's and it's like a balance of. I mean, you can tell that it's like a, you know, a feeling good arc in the film because mm-hmm. like some like the the main bully at the beginning becomes a member of the. Band right, at the end, him, yeah. um, you know, and it's like like punk rock does triumph um, over <laughs> even like over uh, the establishment. Uh, yeah, the establishment, like, which ma'am. is great. Yeah, um, but you know, I mean, like uh, I don't know. Like I, I was happy to watch it. I had a rip roaring good time listening to those songs. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a there's just a whole bunch of super sweet scenes where like the main character goes up to his friend's house and is like, "You want to write a song." Yeah. Um, and he's like, right. You know, and the, the the guy who plays all the instruments, um, he really likes bunnies. It's like just, I mean, it, it's just like a, <laughs> Rhythms, a, yeah. a beautiful, endearing film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kept thinking like, oh, is there going to be like this big moment of tragedy? And like, there there wasn't. There was, but there was also like his his parents get divorced, Several they fall apart. Tragedies throughout. Yeah, and but like it was, I don't know. Yeah. There there was some sense where I'm like, oh, is this sort of like, because I I watched Hidden Figures. Which I think mm. does like a very Disneyfication of like racism in America, where like a, 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 a like a very like a, a brief awkward conversation sternly spoken from a a black woman is like all you need to solve racism. <laughs> you right. know, I was like, you know, it's probably like the economic times in Ireland in 1985 and places mm. in the inner city is probably really bad. Yeah. Um, and visually, it looks like that, but like our character and our characters are in, you know, some economic s- stress, but there's mm. no like scene of stressful conversations about money over the table but there is in that like that's why he's going to this school like because it's family needs to save yeah. money i mean there's definitely stress with the parents over there. yeah yeah and but i and so yeah. like i at first i was i think that there's room for someone to say like well it was kind of like a whitewashing you know um but i also felt like that you know like bad stuff happens and you go on which is also a very real way that it mm-hmm. happens like yeah. some priest Especially roughs you up the in the perspective of a child or a, yeah, know, yeah. Or... You know, the priest roughs you up in the bathroom, and you, you keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like this huge. You know, and it's like, yeah. oh, like I appreciated that. Like it, it, it was melodramatic about a lot of stuff, like makeup mm-hmm. and <laughs> '80s music and VH1. You know, I mean, or MTV at the time yeah. and Brothers and Hash and Pot and stuff. But it wasn't mm-hmm. melodramatic about this tragedy in general. Which I know it felt very interesting and real to me, and yeah. you know, and. It was just I, 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 I don't I don't think I had more fun watching a film in twenty sixteen. I will say this about Sixth it. Street. I don't think it quite made my list. Quite but made you list. I uh and I don't I really don't mean this in a negative way, but I think like if I was like fifteen, I would like love this film. You know what I mean? But see, so I'm not saying it's like inside immature. of me, Eli is a an eternal fifteen year old. Inside of me that, that I am, loved it. I am dead. So that's probably why. Like I can't feel Simple, nice emotions. No. Uh, so, you know, that being said, like, I think there's a certain phase in my life where I would have been, like, obsessed with this film. Yeah. And it didn't quite hit me that yeah. way at this point in my life. It is full-on musical? No, no. It's just, I like... mean, it's like they play the music in the film. Like, they do, like, play the music live. But it's not they break into song. No, no, no. no, no, it's, no. Not, no it's not a musical. It's not a musical. But it's like, yeah. have, have you ever seen Once? It's another great film. I mean, and a uh, great film about people making music in Ireland. Um, and Glenn Hansard, who's uh, been interference, 
played a lot for that and Glenn Hansworth leave that mm-hmm. they do a lot of music in this as well can um, you give any more Irish musical examples no I'm mean, <laughs> <laughs> missing one what Brigadoon no it's, I think it's Scottish um, Finnegan's he, Rainbow he also made a film uh, which might be streaming called Begin Again with Keira Knightley okay in between those two hmm. um, which I watched uh, with my wife Jess pretty recently which I I sort of liked it um, definitely his weakest of them, and recently he made some comments about like Kira not Knightley not trying very hard oh. in the role, well, which hey, caused lots of controversy. Oh and like, um, and, and anyways, I thought she was quite good. Um, so Sing Street yeah. though, um, they play the music. The music is good. <laughs> um, I like it's it's genre music, but it's still good genre music. Mm-hmm. It's well done. Um, yeah. And like, I love music. It's catchy. Yeah. And I, I love people. Like, what I love most about the film. I, or, one of the things I love most about the film is like the scenes where they like make songs because like I always like I just like I love scenes like that like mm-hmm. I, I like mm-hmm. I, I'm like a very unskilled amateur filmmaker and very unskilled amateur songwriter <laughs> um, but I, I love the process of creation of art I love it when we get to see those tender moments between people when like there is not a song and then there is a song you know that's why like you know I like love School of Rock to Death you know School I of Rock is great um, have you seen Straight Outta Compton no, no, but I hear it's really good. It is? It is good? Uh, it totally lacks that point oh. of the, of the uh, rap making. It's really? Like, it's like, Dre is 15, Dre is 17, and he's like busting records. Just in really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like, Snoop Dogg all of a sudden appears, and then they have Platinum, a full, full record. Yeah, yeah. Like, so... I mean, yeah. it's certainly, like, you have to go along with it in Sing Street, but that was, yeah. part of it for me was, like, he, he, like, wanted to get away to meet this girl, and so he's like, let's start a band, I don't know, and then suddenly they're making, like, equally as catchy songs as these <laughs> hits, you know, that, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know where, but that's, like, how it's it has the, to be, yeah. Yeah, part yeah. of the fantasy. I think, and one thing that I liked... Um, that I didn't expect to that hit me was the the brother relationship you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, that's just sweet. Yeah, and it was nice. And I mean, that's kind of my experience. Like, my brother basically had like a record store in his house. He's seven years older than me, yeah. so like he was. So it was always great going over to his house, and like he had just had a wall of like music, and so yeah. I could just like pull something off, and we would just spend hours like listening music. So I really yeah. felt that like support, and I like that it was the brother. Nothing. Try not to spoil stuff, but like the brother in the end who kind of like supported him to chase his dream and like yeah. go out. And normally, I think that would be a different character, like a yeah, parent yeah, or yeah. the the buddy or something. Yeah, and there's, I mean, we're just gonna have to spoil some things for Mike and the audience. <laughs> yeah, but like when the, I mean, the older brother, there's two things that he does that are three things he does that's really awesome. One, he gives that speech in the middle when he was like, I like. Like mm-hmm. I hack this path through this family with a machete that you're walking on, you know, <laughs> right. like, yeah. like you know, I, I was like gonna go to Germany. I was like into music. I played the guitar, you know, and and mm-hmm. you also realize at that moment that he's kind of just like a hash addict now, um, or a lot of you know, like yeah. he he just doesn't leave the house. You learn, um, but he like blazed a path that his younger brother, who's now like doing music, is like following. Mm-hmm. Um, he says him like I was like a fucking jet engine or something. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which is just is like a really pointed thing because it also kind of comes out of nowhere in the film where you're like oh like he's around mm-hmm. and he's a really right. positive good presence teaching him about music but you don't think that he's gonna have this bite mm-hmm. or you know the teeth on him yeah. and he does mm-hmm. um, you know and he also like I also really like his brother invites him to go play their final show um, and he doesn't come yeah and I and like I was like 
I th- right. thought that was that really moment. well yeah. done. Yeah. Um, and you get there, and he, he's sitting at home, and he's like writing out song lyrics for his brother, which we don't see. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that he was thinking about it, and it's the first thing he mentions. Like, how was your show? You know, like because he, whatever social stuff he has, he like couldn't get out of the house to go, which right. is I think a cool way of him being there. And then he also at the end like you know like drives his brother off, mm-hmm. and he's super excited because really it's, excited, yeah. it, it, it's not like because we know his story. It's not just like he's excited. You know, for his brother doing his thing, it's like it's something that they did together. Yeah, like you know, his brother helped him be in a place where he could do that and helped him guide him when his parents were like so concerned about their own crap. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was like really sweet. And then like shortly after that happens, then it says dedicated like two brothers. Right, right. Um, you know, which just makes that relationship great. Nice. Um, I have a few more films. I'll try to go through these briefly. Um, I'll go over a couple and then we can. talk about some other things um so this whole category i I don't know the exact term i want to use here but sort of like cultural immersion for me so i think this was kind of a big theme for me this year um with everything going on in our country and world and stuff like that i think it was uh it hit me more sort of like experiencing these other cultures and sort of these communities of people that i am not are not in my normal sphere um and and not that i haven't experienced that in the past but like just was a little more poignant this year brought it back so one is a little bit of a cheat um maybe because from what i what's listed online it's a 2015 film but it was not released in a in the U.S. until last summer, so I think it. Won. Well, I mean, I, I do know yeah. that we can't get this film. I uh, can't get this podcast authorized as the best of 2016 unless they actually. Unless they are. I, I think so the like. Maybe um, we should edit this part out. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the uh, verification agency this. will uh, will okay. cut us off. So you so. may just hear some scrambles here. Right. In my, my talking. Beep. Yeah. So um, just get past through that. Um, so it is Deepon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is about. Uh, this sort of put together family from Sri Lanka mm-hmm. refugees. So the um, the male protagonist is uh, used to fought, fight in the civil war in Sri Lanka, and so after the war is over, he um, his side loses, and so he's in a refugee camp. And we don't really see much of that in the film. He's just kind of in the camp at the beginning. Um, he uh, joins forces with a single woman to be a family unit because that's the only way to get out of the country. And so they also recruit a nine-year-old orphan girl um, to be their daughter. So they kind of, this makeshift family together and he takes the identity of a dead man named Deepan um, in order to kind of not not be involved in the civil war and stuff for leaving the country. So uh, that's kind of how the film starts. And so they go to France and um, in order to be legally there and stuff, they kind of have to maintain this family unit um, for the government and stuff. So he gets a job in this apartment complex, kind of being like the uh, maintenance janitor and stuff like that. And they soon discover that, you know, there's basically like this drug lord that lives in this apartment complex who controls kind of what goes into it and out of it and what's happening and stuff. And they just kind of have to follow these rules. So there's like deals happening and stuff. So, I mean, it's kind of ironic that, you know, they kind of leave like one kind of war to be in the middle of this other sort of um, inner city war, drug war and things that they kind of are in the middle of, even though they're not really involved. But as the film progresses, they kind of become equally involved. 
And I like that it was, you know, almost up till the last fourth of the film, it's pretty much kind of just like a character drama um, of how they deal with each other and kind of, um, you know, they never, I think it's handled well. They don't, they don't have cheesy moments where they suddenly become this real family, but there's like, they do grow in who they are. Like the, um, the woman, you know, doesn't really care about this kid because it's not her child. She's never had kids or anything. She doesn't really have any attachment to her. And the, the man kind of has to like make her take care of her kind of even stuff. And, and just like that experience of this girl has to start like in this school where she doesn't know the language. She doesn't know any of these people. And she doesn't have like parents who really like support her or care about that. So like she hates it um, in school and stuff like that. So uh, just a unique experience. And then it takes this kind of turn in the end and becomes almost like this revenge thriller, like taxi driver style, <laughs> um, because he used to fight in the war, and so like things happen with this drug lord, and he has to do something. About Science it. teacher becomes yeah, drug that's lord right, becomes yeah. bomb maker. Yeah. Um, so it and actually that ending was just like stylistically pretty interesting too, um, how it was handled, pretty realistic. Uh, but it had some from some unique perspectives and stuff like that. So I highly recommend it. Um, it was a surprise for me. I uh, want to do one shout out about refugee things. Yeah. So um, uh, we live here in Madison, Wisconsin, and there mm-hmm. we, there have been some uh, Syrian refugees which have come to Madison through mm-hmm. various agencies. A friend of mine uh, works for an agency that helps resettle them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she said is she asked the family, like after they were here for about a week or so, like, you know, what's what's one thing we can do to help? Mm-hmm. Um, and the family said we really like those signs like in around town here in Madison we've had these signs which say like you know no matter where you're from you're welcome here and it's in English and then in another language and then yeah. Arabic at oh, the bottom yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and like I'm gonna go buy some signs this happened the day um, but it was like I mean it was a really sweet thing that like because um, I mean like as a like a lefty activist person that holds up signs and walks around <laughs> and does stuff um, and puts signs on my front lawn um, it was really nice to hear that um that actually mattered to somebody yeah. um, and that it's something you could really do really easily to help because I mean, she mm-hmm. said, you know, especially because the, the, the mom, you know, said like, they, you know, they hear a lot about, I mean, because there was just like a ban on Syrian refugees, like, right. you know, after they had right. already been here for about a week or so. Yeah. Um, it's really nice to see that um, very clear personal um, representations of people saying that they're welcome here because mm-hmm. um, it, it certainly goes against the, the larger narrative that you hear if you, you know, just get some news about the United States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also um, was reminded of, which I appreciate that perspective of, uh, which I also get more in uh, the film Dirty Pretty Things, yeah. which I won't go into deeply, but basically the main actor in that is working as sort of like a night uh, hotel manager, sort of, but like, you know, not any sort of fancy job, but like back home in his country, in Africa, he was a, a doctor. You know, and so it's kind of in the deep on too. It's like this guy's working basically as like a janitor, but like these people in their countries were like highly skilled workers and things like that. So um, just like we don't really know, just like our perspective on things, I think, or just like the general notion we have is very different. It reminds me too of like a film, Men Push Cart, which I think mm-hmm. we talked about where yeah. there's, I mean, I can't talk much about it, but um, there's this character, um, comes from somewhere in the Middle East, I think, and he mm-hmm. had runs this sort of like food cart. Mm-hmm. Um, and he runs into somebody who recognizes him from the old world, mm-hmm. you know, where he came from. Um, and he's like, oh, like you were in that famous band. You know, and he's like, he has a tape of the band. 
Um, and the film itself, like, I, I'm not sure if we're, because it's like an indie film, I'm not sure if we're supposed to believe that the character actually was in the band or not, but like the ambiguity of like, you know, Th- these two different identities in two different mm-hmm. places and what it, you know like it, it's meaningful if he was and isn't now it's meaningful mm-hmm. if he wasn't in the band and like you know is happening to capitalize on that and it was yeah. also like cool like you're in this band I used to look really look up to you like I'll have a hot dog <laughs> you know like that that you know like all of a sudden you're just nothing showing yeah. up someplace else but yeah um, the other film I want to talk about in that category a little bit is a uh, different genre but Under the Shadow mm-hmm. um, which is an Iranian film um and it's basically like a supernatural thriller, but has really unique sort of setting for that uh, in character. So I think a few things that set it apart is a female protagonist in this Muslim world. Um, this uh, sort of modern kind of woman as well not just like being female protagonist but she's also a fairly modern woman which they portray with uh mostly visually and kind of in the story naturally without you know having these speeches or something um and then the supernatural elements uh i think more speak to her anxiety and uh her also like aspirations in life and things and dealing with family um just like the struggles of being a mother and things like that too just naturally so uh i think those were really the stronger points and the supernatural stuff kind of like is almost like separate and i mean Mm -hmm. not like separate but like comes in um not as like the main part of it uh, was handled well so uh, it's basically like she, there is war happening in Iran. I think it's more actually set in the 80s, I want to say. Um, and it starts out with her, there's this great scene where she's trying to go back to medical school because her husband is a doctor, and that's what she always wanted to do. And they have one uh, one child, a girl. And um, so she's talking to somebody at the at the university and at the medical school, and you can see the city out through the window. And... Um, so she's trying to convince him that she can come back, and he's kind of saying, like, well, you did some uh, some political activism here, so uh, it doesn't look too good for, you know, you were kind of just messing around in, in college before. Um, so I'm not really sure you're serious about this. And then we, like, hear, like, off in the distance and kind of see, like, a bomb go off, and, like, she looks over to kind of like acknowledge it and he just like doesn't acknowledge it at all so like right away just like wordlessly it sets up like the atmosphere like this is a day-to-day thing that they're dealing with and they're trying to like go on with normal life um and he's just like not phased by it at all anyway so she doesn't get it get to go back to school so the husband gets called off to war she decides to stay in the city even though there's kind of rumblings about not you know things are going to get worse and he's trying to get her to move um, with his parents out out somewhere farther, um, a little bit safer. Uh, so she stays behind with the daughter, and they start to experience these weird things happening. And I think the whole film really uh, plays the balance of, you know, is this psychological? Are these things that are happening in her mind, or like she's seeing, or is this really supernatural? Um, even though we kind of see it, you know, visually and stuff happening. And I think the the sort of supernatural elements are pretty originally handled. And for the most part, it's played pretty much like a standard kind of thriller. But I think being in this unique setting is really cool. And and the different take. So like one moment, you know, there, it's in the middle of the night and there's some sort of 
weird things happening in the apartment and they you know she grabs her daughter and races out of the house because it doesn't think it's safe to be there and runs out in the street and the police see her out in the street and you think oh she's safe like somebody's gonna come help her and the thing that they're concerned about is you know in her house she doesn't wear like head covering and she just like ran out of the house so they're like get her to the police station they're like you know this is questionable by death like we're gonna let it go this time but like that's the thing they're concerned about is her head being covered so like it's a totally different world of like the concerns that we would normally have in a, mm-hmm. in a film like that where you're like just move out of the house like it's haunted and it's like you know or just get out of that house yeah. why are you staying there all night and it's like well there's a totally different concern happening here right. as well mm-hmm. um that she's dealing with so uh I was really impressed. Um, I think it's a similar theme to like the Babadook. Did you guys Mm-mm. see that or hear about that? So that I think that dealt more with like motherhood and sometimes it's it's hard to be a parent um, mm-hmm. with your kids and um, and all the responsibility and stuff. So this film also deals with that as well. Um, but I think those two films kind of like took me into a different world, um, different culture than than I expected, but. Uh, there's another one I want to mention in that phase, but I'm going to throw it back to... Did you have anything else, Mike? No. Throw it back to you, Jeremy. I wanted to talk for a minute about the movie Gleason. This is a documentary about a man named Steve Gleason, who I did not know before the film, um, who plays uh, football for the uh, New Orleans Saints. So this film... um, I want to talk about this film, Gleason. It's about uh, a man named Steve Gleason... Um, who played uh, football for the New Orleans Saints. He also gets, uh, after he retires, he gets ALS. And the mm-hmm. documentary film ta- uh, follows him from a little bit before diagnosis to, I think he's like four years into his illness. I talk about this film because um, this past year, my my uncle Steve, my name is Steve, Lom- Steve Lomaster, who I grew mm-hmm. up with, um, got ALS and died. Um, and it was really sad. <laughs> Um, he's a great guy, and it's a for anyone who's had anyone who's had that illness. It's a fairly unpleasant way to go. You just sort of slowly deteriorate over months, and yeah. eventually you can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, my aunt, who's his wife, Diane, said, you know, you know, uh, he passed away this summer. I was like, oh, you know, sometime in at the at the end of the year, she's like, you know, you guys, the whole family, like, you got to watch this film. And I, of course, thought it was about Jackie Gleason, <laughs> and I did not know. But you know, I'm like, sure. yeah. right? Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I checked it out, and I, and I finally watched it just a little bit ago. Um, and uh, as I think I mentioned before, like I used to make documentary films; that used to be my thing. Um, and so the the things I liked about it were, um, I feel like it was a really fair and balanced portrayal of a disease. Someone getting a disease like this. I mean, what makes the story interesting for people that aren't interested in ALS in particular are. Um, Steve Gleason is a really interesting person. I mean, he's like not a typical football football player. Mm-hmm. He's like kind of like an outdoor hippie. Um, he's really interesting. He's kind of like an amateur filmmaker himself. He has takes all these video logs of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his his father is like a really conservative Christian, um, mm-hmm. and so that interplay is interesting. Um, also, like right around the time he gets diagnosed, his wife is pregnant with their first child. So, like, there's this, you know, this, as, as the story progresses, like his, you know, his wife is more pregnant, the child is eventually born. Um, you know, we see Steve deteriorate. You know, I mean, it's almost like um, if you've ever read like Flowers for Elgernon. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like he's keeping these daily records. Um, you know, because he's making right. like a time capsule for his son, right. um, who's named Rivers um, from that song, Rivers and Roads. Um, <laughs> 
and uh, you know, and you would just see him sort of get worse every day. I mean, like, and there's you know, there's a moment in there where he's like, "This is probably gonna be my last day talking," because mm. you know, you won't be able to, yeah, yeah, and it is. Um, and there's some, and so, and it's like there's a point in the film where, you know, like he's he's starting this. I mean, they they build a statue of him because he he was the guy. I mean, I didn't know about this, but he was the guy that, like, the first game that New Orleans Saints play in New Orleans after the flood is, like, in the first quarter, and he, he charges down a punt, um, and then they score a touchdown off it. Like, he knocks it forward, somebody picks up the ball and scores it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the rebirth of New Orleans. It's this, like, ecstatic moment in New Orleans history, at least it was, it was portrayed in the film. Yeah. I didn't know about it, but it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, like... Um, I play rugby. I have an appreciation for a good charge down, and also like it doesn't happen in the NFL. Like yeah. nobody charges a punt down. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, um, uh, and um, but there's a point where they're building like a statue of him, like blocking this punt, mm-hmm. you know. And he's like, um, you know, he's being honored one moment there, and then he like the next like 45 minutes later, he's at his home and he's like covered in his own shit because he can't control his bowels anymore. Um, you know, and he talks about that. You know, and he's like, and I want to punch something, but I can't because I can't punch anything, so right. I can just kind of scream. Um, you know, and it also, so, it, like, and it balances, like, treating him like this great hero who's, you know, he, he, like, raised a lot of money, founded an organization, changed some legislation, like, got Medicare to pay for, like, assisted talking devices. Um, and also not, like, being like, oh, this is so horrible. He used to be such a great athlete, and now he's such a, you know, look at a disheveled mess that he is. Um, and it also like talks about how hard it is for his wife and his kids and his dad, um, and it, you know, it, it. I feel like it's a really honest portrayal of what going through that disease is like for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good for you know. I think it is a thing that's like a like an ambassadorial piece where like like my aunt could say like, you know, to people that don't know what it was like for her, be like, watch this film. You know, this is kind of like what it was like to be married to somebody as that yeah. happened. Um, and there's also a couple. Um, uh, like I have, I have great love in general for like stories about faith healing and whatnot. I, mm. I, I am, I am sort of an atheist myself, <laughs> but I find the phenomenon really interesting. Yeah. And like, um, I really like the scene in the Man in the Moon when like he goes to, he's got cancer and he goes to the guy and he like and he finally see, you know the film. It's the Jim Carrey version of the story of Charlie Kaufman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, he goes to see like Andy this Kaufman. Andy, Andy Kaufman. Kaufman yeah what did I say yeah. Charlie Kaufman yes. different guy different, different guy, guy. Yeah. Um, Andy Kaufman I love Andy Kaufman oh very funny um, <laughs> I talk about him a lot anyway so um, you know he goes to see I think like in Thailand to see this mm-hmm. guy who pulls out cancer yeah and like and it shows a sort of dramatic thing where he like sticks his hand in their belly and pulls out this stuff mm-hmm. um, and the end of the film is him watching the person do the trick and he sees behind their hand and he sees the like chicken liver or whatever yeah. and he's <laughs> pulling it out um, but I like the spectacle of it, and there's yeah. there's this there's this point in the movie Gleason where um, Steve is you know a couple months into his like experiencing symptoms, so he he like has a strange gait, and he like often work often walks with crutches or a stick, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and his dad takes him to see a faith healer, and is this really weird scene where like. His dad's like really encouraging him to do stuff, and the faith is like, "Come on up," you know. And mm-hmm. she's like, "I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run," and he like takes three steps and just like face plants on the ground, um, you know. And like you know that there's conflict between him and his dad. I don't know if he was like, you know, trying to trying to like prove a point to his dad, mm-hmm. or like was just hoping that you know the little part of him that grew up in that family was just hoping that 
maybe it would work. Yeah. Um, but it's a really, I mean, a really pointed scene that we see on film in this documentary that, like, you know, like there's it there's 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 not voiceover, mm. voice voiceovers not voiceover. Sure. <laughs> there's not voiceover, um, but you know there is Steve talking and there is traditional interviews, um, but there's a lot of capturing of important moments in his life. Like he goes to do this triathlon very early in the film, and like he just has a little bit of a limp and he can't really swim, hmm. um, you know. And so you you talk about these sort of landmarks, you know, of someone who has illness where you like the first time you're like, oh, like I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it follows him through. He has some uh, stem cell surgery, which just makes it get worse, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you think, like, oh, like, it might be good. And they build it up, and he gets it done, and, you know, he's, like, gets worse and worse. You know, he was, like, he could walk, and I was in a chair. Like, all this yeah. sort of, you know, and it's, like, and it, these things happen. You know, lots of tragedies happen, and they're also not sort of, like, oh, my God, isn't it so horrible that this... Um, but it has, I mean, there's this super sweet moment in the at the end where, I mean, like, he... You know, there's a really hard moment where, like, he, um, it's like whether or not he's gonna have like a, a breathing tube put in. You know, um, there's this, you know, that like um, because uh, a lot of sometimes it's, the surgery is not great. Um, a lot of people just kind of say like it's enough. You know, at that point that hey, they right. less. Um, but you know, he says, like, you know, the only reason I'm doing all this is, like, I can have a conversation with my four-year-old son, which he's been having these video conversations, but they're one-sided. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, he gets to, ha- he, like, has a conversation with this kid when they're coming back from school. Um, you know, he picks him up from school or something, he's like four or five years old, and he has a little conversation with his, like, you know, his digital voice thing. Right. Um, you know, and it was like a, you know, and also they didn't, it happens, you notice it, mm-hmm. you know, it's what they chose to put in the film, but it's not, like, it's not overblown. It's, it's very, it was very tasteful. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, uh, a good film for that reason. I mean, I think that, you know, like I always, you know, what I loved about documentary was like the fierce commitment to truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it does a really good job of truly portraying what, you know, this disease and this person's life was like with it. Yeah. Because there's a point too, like, which I think like is, uh, it was a great way of showing like, he's got a two-year-old kid having a tantrum and Steve is kind of being annoying, talking to his wife through the, like the voice thing about something. And she's just like, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like, that's exactly how that feels. Yeah, you know? right. um, yeah. um, You know, and again, you know, there's probably lots of footage they chose and I think that that moment sort of captures like, you know, because like begging the question, like, what is it like with a two-year-old and someone who can't take care of himself? Right. You know, this is what it's like, yeah. this moment we have right here. Wow. I think, I mean, I think it's, yeah, and it came out this year, I think it's, you know, it's worth watching. It's interesting. Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to jump in here and thank you for listening to part one of our best of 2016 episode. Be sure to come back next week for part two of our best of 2016. We got a lot more great content for you to hear and have a great week. Thanks.